Good morning. I'm so excited to see this many people at the 11 o'clock service. This is usually what it looks like at 9, so we're so glad you're all here. We're going to begin to worship this morning with singing Sweet, Sweet Spirit.
this morning, may that be our prayer to you, God, that um, your word says where two or more are gathered, Lord, you are with us, God. So, Lord, I just pray that your um, presence is made known in this place this morning, Lord, that we're just filled with your spirit, God, and that that spirit drives us and leads us as we open your word in a time of study, God. Lord, may your word speak truth into our life, God. Lord, may you use Pastor Newell as a vessel, God, as a, um, as a word from you, Lord. God, thank you so much for just the gift of your spirit, God, and, and just being a savior, God, that never leaves us, God, but allows your spirit to reside within us, Lord. God, if there's anybody today who, who doesn't have that sweet spirit, God, who's not accepted you as their Lord and Savior, I just pray that today will be their day of salvation, God. Lord, we turn this service over to you, Lord. Have your way. Your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. I hope you were able to hear last week's message from the Word and God's servant Bryson as he taught us what it means to have faith in Christ and that we are to show no personal favoritism and categorize people based on rich, poor, other earthly categories. We are to show mercy and grace to all. And really, the Bible only knows of two categories of people, the, the saved and the lost. You know, those who are children of God and those who are not. And we are called to love and minister to people regardless of what, you know, category, so to speak, the, the world might, might put them in. So it, it's with that in mind that James writes the next section, beginning in verse 14, because James wants his readers to know that if you have faith in Christ, that is going to lead you to live a certain kind of life. It's going to make a difference in your life. It is going to transform your life. And what we're about to hear is that faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So... What does it mean to have a living, vibrant, genuine, authentic faith in Christ? James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says that he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? 
Even so, faith, if it has no works, it's dead. Being by itself. But someone may, ways, may well say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith without the works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he quotes from the Old Testament, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and she sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is, is what? Is dead. Is dead. Father... Thank you for the faith you give. We know that the faith you give us, not only does it save us, but it transforms us. And we are born again and born anew. And, and Lord, we need your help to see the mercy that you've given us for what it is. And that instead of categorizing people into deserving or undeserving or of, of, our, of our grace and favor, that we would, we would remember how merciful you have been to us and that faith in Christ saves us from our, our sins and our iniquities. You've been gracious, you've been merciful. Help us to grasp that faith so that it will empower us to love and serve others the way you would have us to. Give us, Lord, that living, vibrant faith that is in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, I do want to make a comment before I get into the message related to what Miss Yvonne's prayer was. As Miss Yvonne came in this morning, I mentioned to her that Asa, our son, our son who's playing baseball in Minnesota, probably has broken his ankle last night in a game. So if you heard Vaughn pray for Asa, that's what, you know, that's what that was referring to. We took a trip last week to see him, and he, we saw him play two games. Everything was going well. We got hit by a pitch last Sunday, and then last night he went back to make a catch and came down hard on that pre-injured foot, leg, ankle. And he texted us last night and said he's going to have x-rays today, and he thinks it's 90% broken. So there you go. That's life, isn't it? That, you know, in a fallen world with fallen bodies, things like that are going to happen. So while I was gone last week to, to visit Asa and to be with him and spend some time away, I picked up a book that Benji Alexander gave me years ago on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I tried, I mean, at least five years ago, maybe more. Benji had read this on vacation. He says, I want you to read it. Well, it's been sitting on my shelves collecting dust, you know, for, for years. Well, Bryson read this earlier this summer during COVID, and Bryson was sharing with me how great it was, and I was like, you know what? I've got a copy of that. I'm going to pick that up and start reading it. Well, I've read about half of it, which is pretty good for me because I'm very distractible. But this is an incredible book, and I'm going to call it, you know, it looks like a blue mattress. <laughs> but what an incredible book. And the reason I bring this book up is that to me, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and everything that he went through in his, you know, personal faith. If you don't know the story, uh, when the Nazis came to power in Germany, Bonhoeffer opposed their oppression of the Jews and their oppression of the confessing church. Long story short, he died under the Nazis' power as a martyr. And, and this is just about his faith and the difference his faith made, practically speaking, in his life. To me, he embodies what James 
2, 14 and following is teaching. And so I want to start off the message by quoting something that he said in his book. We may wonder how in the world did the church in Germany allow to happen what happened in that great country. Well, he goes into the fact that a lot of the professing Christians were just that. They were just professing Christians. They lacked a faith that made a living, powerful difference in their lives. And so he says this. Bonhoeffer felt that was especially missing from the life of Christians in Germany was, listen to this, the day-to-day reality of dying to self and following Christ with every ounce of one's being in every moment of every part of one's life. Christ must be brought into every square inch of the world and culture, but one's faith must be shining and bright and pure and robust. Did you hear what he's saying? That what Germany lacked from his opinion and perspective is a real life-changing faith that made a difference in how you thought and how you lived and how you interacted with the world around you. That daily dying to self, daily following Christ with every ounce of our being in every moment of life. That's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? And that was a challenge for James's church. Remember, they were persecuted, they were scattered, they were facing the Roman Empire. How are they to live their faith out there in the world when they were no longer in the safe confines of Jerusalem? Many of them struggled. They struggled, as we saw last week, from favoritism and judgmentalism and and not being merciful. Who were the true believers And who were the unbelievers? Well, James says you can notice as you look at their lives. I read a story recently about a late 1960s Hindu guru. He claimed to be a holy man with special powers from God. And so to demonstrate his connection to God, he... He sold some tickets in India to this great event where he was going to prove to everybody that he could walk on water. He had become very popular, very well known for his teachings and his writings. Well, he was going to demonstrate his holiness by walking on water. So a crowd of about 600 people gathered at this pool. And they were finally going to see this holy man walk across water. Well, the first step he took into that pool, guess what happened? He He sunk to the bottom. (laughs) And as the story goes, he gets up out of the water and he shakes the water off his head and he's angry, he's embarrassed. And he looks out at the crowd and he points his finger at the crowd and he says, hey, he says, one of you is an unbeliever. (laughs) Pretty nifty trick, wasn't it? As James writes to the church, he's kind of got the same thought totally different context but some of you don't have the the real thing so I want to look at this text this morning and I want us to see what is a living faith what are the qualities of a living faith well first of all we got to ask ourselves what is faith who is faith in what is he talking about well in chapter 2 earlier Verse 1, last week, I assume Bryson covered this. He says to the church, My brethren, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. So he defines faith there for us. What is faith according to James 2.1? It is faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. So from the beginning, James is saying a believer who has a living faith is someone who knows Jesus Christ and believes Him to be glorious and believes Him to be Lord and believes Him to be Savior. Our faith is in someone who has given Himself up completely for us, taken on the wrath of God that we deserve for sin, and in sacrifice and in love, He gave Himself up completely for us. 
And then on the third day, God raised him from the dead. So when James talks about faith and a faith that works, he's talking about people who first have cast their life and their soul and their all on their glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the faith that he's talking about. That's the substance of what he's talking about in James chapter 2. So first we've got to understand that, that I'm a sinner deserving wrath. And the good news is that God in Christ has been extremely and infinitely merciful to me. Faith is a gift from God by which we take hold of Christ and all of his benefits. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So do you know what it means to come to Christ and say, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. Do you know what it means to come to Christ in repentance and in complete casting of yourself on him and his mercy for your salvation? Some of the people that James addresses had forgotten that. So it says in verse 13, right before the passage I read, judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. A Christian is someone who has received and benefits from the mercy of God through Christ our Savior. So that's why he begins to talk about this living faith and its necessity. So what are the qualities? Number one, a living faith is infinitely valuable. It's infinitely valuable. He asks a question in this text that is a crucial question for every single one of us. He starts by saying, what use is it? If you say, if you verbally profess a faith in Christ, but it doesn't have any works, it's made no difference. There's no visible, practical effect that others can see in your life. He says, what use is that? Well, his conclusion is that it's of no use. It's of, of no value to have a faith that is profession only and doesn't make a difference. Then he asks a more important question in verse 14. Can that faith save him? Well, based on the text, that faith can't save because that faith is dead. That faith is a corpse. And the reason I call it a corpse is in verse 26. He says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith, faith without works is what? Dead. What's a body without a spirit? It's a corpse. It's not alive. So James is issuing here a warning and a wake-up call for all to examine their lives spiritually and to look at their faith and their works. We might say, well, why should I care? Well, eternity is at stake. Works is not an additional add-on that you may or may not be concerned about, kind of like when you go to order a cup of coffee and they say, would you like sugar and cream with that? <laughs> or what would you like added to your baked potato? You want it loaded? Oh yeah, I want it loaded, right? When it comes to faith and works, works is absolutely a necessity because it proves the genuineness of our faith. James is driving home the fact that a faith without works is dead. It cannot save. That means that a living faith is extremely, infinitely, eternally valuable. It's important. And so this issue that James addresses with his church is crucial. It's crucial for you. It's crucial for me. So let's be clear. If your faith has no care for those who have basic needs, like food and clothing, then your faith According to James, I'm just the messenger here. If your faith has no mercy and no care for those who have the basic needs of food and clothing, then your faith is useless. 
But to reverse that, if you in your heart of hearts know, hey, God's been merciful to me. Therefore, when I observe need out in life, real practical need for food and clothing, and I do care, hey, that's good news. That's a sign that you have the eternal, valuable life of God living in you. So the implication in point number one is that a living faith is valuable. It's essential. As the song we sing often says, it's, it's more precious than silver. It's more costly than gold. And while faith, while faith may seem at times to be useless to some, it is actually the most valuable commodity in all of life because it is the power of God unto salvation. A living faith is valuable for this life. You may have seen posts recently. I've got one person in particular in mind, and it's, it's Nan Witham. Y'all remember Nan Witham? I see posts like this all the time. She's posting about loss and grief and pain in her life, and then she uses this statement, I don't see how people who don't have faith in God make it through this life. I share that sentiment. I know many of you have publicly shared that sentiment. How do people make it without faith in God and the church and the Bible and the gospel? A living faith is valuable for this life and the things that we face in this life. Now, I'm going to have to have a conversation with Asa. Don't forget, Asa, everything happens for a reason. God has a plan. Conversations and comments like that are the application of a living faith to the things of life like a broken ankle, right? Oh, but if you think faith is valuable for this life, think about how valuable it is for eternity. So when we talk about whether or not you have a faith that works, we're talking about, we're talking about value for this life and the, the life to come because salvation is the, through Christ is the only means by which you and I can be released from the penalty of sin. It's the only power that we have to save us from the power of sin. And ultimately, it's our only hope to be saved from the presence of sin in a, in a future paradise that is absolutely perfect. What use is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So let me make a few statements about faith let's not forget that we are saved we are saved because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works you are not saved by faith plus works but you are saved by a faith that works there's a big difference there I can't add anything to the finished work of Christ. But if I have faith in Christ, he's going to add a whole lot to my life. You are not justified by works, but, but according to James, if you do not have works, you are not justified. You are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. Justification will always be followed by sanctification. Let's use this analogy. Faith is the locomotive, and all the other cars are the action that prove that the locomotive is there. Okay, have I driven home point number one enough? Probably so. <laughs> My first point is that a living faith is valuable. Uh, let's follow with the others, okay, and stay with me. A living faith is also very practical. And the reason I say that is anything more practical than food and clothing. In fact, the need for food and the need for clothing cuts across all dimensions. It cuts across every age, every race, every geography, at all times and all places. It doesn't matter who you are or where you go. You're always going to be concerned about food and clothing. Speaking of Asa, I'll use him as an example. His favorite quote or question growing up was, what's for din-din? <laughs> and what I mean by that is, what's for dinner? 
We spent a Thanksgiving one time eating at two different places earlier in the day. We're driving home. And he says, what's for dinner? <laughs> and they, you cannot be serious. But according to James, faith becomes very practical. Because he says that you cannot be dismissive about real... We're talking about essentials here, okay? You cannot be dismissive about the practical, essential needs in the lives of others. Faith may seem like something that's invisible, but it's the most tangible thing in the world. It's kind of like the wind. You can't see it, but boy, it's effects... And his works are very powerful. So let me say this. By faith, our souls and our minds are fed with bread from heaven. And our lives are clothed with righteousness from above. So focusing on the unseen then has an effect on what we do see. Here's what I mean. You and I have been fed and clothed by Jesus in spiritual ways that are far more practical and important than than the physical. But that then opens our eyes to see great value in feeding and clothing those who are in need. We now see them from our Heavenly Father's point of view. And as His body, we become the hands and feet of Christ in the world. I want you to think about the miracles that Jesus performed to prove the reality of the unseen eternal kingdom. Every single one of his miracles involves some type of practical, real health, physical benefit. He would say things like, your sins are forgiven, which is a spiritual unseen reality. But then he would say, to prove that your sins are forgiven, take up your mat and do what? And walk. He opens the eyes of the blind. When John the Baptist was in prison, he was wondering, Jesus, are you the Messiah or not? Because I'm stuck here in prison and I need to know. And I've preached you and I've stood for you, but here I am in prison. You know what Jesus said? Go tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, and the dead are raised. <laughs> so what's he saying? John, in real life, the word has become flesh and is dwelling among us. And I make a real practical difference in the lives of people in need. And I'm doing that so that you'll know in a physical reality that there's a greater spiritual reality that, that I'm all about. I'm just saying that James is saying that if you have real living faith, it will practically help other people, especially in the essentials. And that's throughout the gospel. When Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? Remember what the, the, the way to show that you love him was? Feed my sheep. That did not mean just a spiritual feeding, though that was primarily the concern. It also meant to take care of the essential needs of those around us. i got to move on. A living faith is valuable, it's practical. And if it's practical, then number three, it's observable. The whole gospel is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now James is getting a little testy. James is getting a little bit of an attitude with these people. <laughs> a little bit bold. I think James, his life must have spoken for itself because, you know, he, he reminds me of D.L. Moody here. When, when D.L. Moody's evangelistic methods were being criticized by people who weren't doing anything, D.L. Moody says, well, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. James basically says, I will show you my faith by my works. And all I want to say is that if you have a living faith, it will become observable to other people. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men so that they would see your good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. This goes beyond, you know, preaching and beyond church attendance and beyond singing 
and worship, it goes outside of these walls into the world where we are called to be salt and light. And if you really have a living faith in Jesus, James is saying that other people will be able to see your faith, not just hear about it in the things that you say, but they will be able to observe your faith in how you live your life. So here's our challenge. Show your faith by your works. I can get on Facebook and Instagram and I can put scripture out there all day long. That's very easy for me to do and I do it. But the real test of my faith is is not that. I'm reminded of something that Pastor Thomas Chandler used to say all the time. It's not how high you jump. (laughs) It's how you walk once your feet touch the ground. As others observe my life and your life, they observe our speech, they observe our reactions to difficulty, they observe our responses and our attitudes all the time, they observe where we go, what we do. If others observed your life, what conclusions do they come to about your priorities and about your faith? That's what James is asking us to ask. A living faith is observable. As I prepared this, I thought about people through the years as I, as I was growing up. People that I saw not just attend church and make that a priority. That's foundational. But I'm talking about in their attitude and their demeanor, how they loved us as children, how they got involved in our lives, how outside of church life they cared for us and their families and their community. I got people in mind. I don't have time to go into who they are. But you got people in mind who showed you their faith by how they they live. James wants us to to be those kind of people. Then number four, a living faith is extremely personal. It's personal. And we're not going to retell the story of Abraham, though that's what this really calls for. But the interesting phrase about Abraham's sacrifice and his demonstration of faith with Isaac. Remember when Abraham, his work that demonstrated that his faith was real was sacrificing Isaac on on that altar, being willing to, right? I'm like, man, what faith. He is demonstrating living faith right there in action by putting his son on the altar and trusting God. But the interesting thing is James says that that faith came out of friendship. And man, friendship's one of the most powerful forces in all the world. Hey, a friend in need is a friend indeed, right? I helped Kurt Richardson move a couple of Saturdays ago. You know why? Kurt's my friend. Is that something you wake up on Saturday morning dying to do? No. But you know what? Kirk has helped me. I remember when Bennett was born, he was painting. He came over one and spent a day painting uh, the room, Bennett's room, to, to prepare that nursery. And I thought about all the things that my friends have done to help me. And if you get a request from a friend to help you, Because there's trust, and because there's love, and because there's relationship, man, your work, hmm, kind of changes how it feels, doesn't it? Because it's not work. (laughs) It's friendship. James is saying Abraham was called the, the friend of God. That's why he did what he did. It included other elements. But here's what I'm saying. Our works for God will flow out of relationship with God. Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves that I'm just commanding every day to line up and do right. No. You're my friends. And greater love is no one than this that he laid on his life for what? His, his friends. God has not only called us into friendship but family, then you talk about, you go another level. You could, we could go beyond friendship to family. 
That's an even deeper level of work and help, isn't it? My whole point is that Abraham's work came out of a faith that was also part of a friendship. And that's what God is calling us to do with our works. That way, our works don't become burdensome. They become, they become joyful because we're doing it for love and not to merit or earn anything. We're doing it because he had perfect faith for me, right? And then my last point, not only is faith observable and personable, but this is going to sound a little weird. It's perfectible. Man, everything around me is breaking apart. It's hard to sustain your bodies, your homes, your careers, everything, because we live in a fallen world where by nature things are corrupt and they are fading. But this says that Abraham's faith was perfected. What does that mean? It means a living faith is something that is going to be perfected. It's going to be complete. It's going to be whole. Abraham's faith ended in what? Sight. And if you have a living faith, I've got good news for you. That faith is going to end in sight. It is going to be perfected. And you're going to be perfected in a perfect world. And so if you have a living faith, that living faith, just like Abraham. Listen, Abraham had many flaws and he had made many mistakes. And there were times in his life where his faith, just, just to be real, his faith was lame. But it continued to grow as God was faithful in his life. And Abraham's faith was perfected. All living faith will ultimately be perfected. And I know we struggle. And we struggle at times to believe. But I, I thank the Lord that, that our, faith, our salvation is not based on the quality of our faith, but on the object of our faith, who is Jesus and that's why the writer to Hebrews says, as you run your race, don't look at yourself, don't look around at others, but you look at who? You look at Jesus because he is the author and the finisher or the perfecter of your faith. Ah, he's going to perfect my faith. That's why my faith is unlike anything else in the world. Because he's going to sustain it. He's going to complete it. So just by preaching Jesus, it strengthens our faith, enlivens our faith, and gives our faith hope and punch and power to continue on until we become just like him. Because Jesus had all of these qualities of faith in perfection. You think about Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot. Well, there's imperfection at its most imperfect. She's on the extreme contrast of everything that Abraham was. Ah, but she had faith. She had a living faith. And when she was tested, having believed in God and his miracles, she helped those spies and she helped God's people. And you know what God did with that harlot? He perfected her. He perfected her by faith and by grace. How do we know that? Well, a lot of different reasons, but you go to Matthew chapter 1 and you read the genealogy of our perfect Savior. Guess who's in there? Rahab the harlot. God, by faith and grace, grafted her in and her faith, which was living, was perfected. Well, that's good news. Because I have no righteousness. I have no works on my own to present to God that would count me or make me perfect. But I can take that little faith and place it in our big, perfect Savior. And not only will it make a difference in my life, but I can know that when I stand before God in eternity, He is going to count me as perfect and as righteous as Jesus is. 
So whether you're an Abraham or you're a, a Rahab, James says the big difference is whether or not you have a living faith. And if you do, then you'll see the evidence worked out in your life. God will know you by your faith, but other people will know by your fruit. Let's pray. Father, bear fruit in, in, in us. Bear it through uh, the message that we've heard from James as he just clarifies what it means to have a living faith. I thank you for the people in my life, past, present, and future, who've been great examples. They've been Abrahams and, and they've been Sarahs and they've been all these other characters in the Bible who, they were sinful, but they were, they were believers. They trusted you. And you befriended them and came alongside them. And they are all encouraging to us. And help us ultimately, though, to look to the author and finisher of our faith so that our works will be evidently of you and for you. Help us to search our own hearts and minds to see if our faith truly is, is living. And if it's not, Lord, you're, you're faithful to give the gift of faith to those who desire. And our prayer is that you would. As we sing about you this morning, may we each call upon you. Call upon you not only for salvation, if we've never done so, Confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead. May we call on you also for growth and maturity in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, I Surrender All. You come as we sing.
Hey, great to see all of you here this morning. Uh, really good attendance for our 9 o'clock. Uh, still social distancing service. We'll have another service at 11. If you're interested in Sunday school, you can head over to the old sanctuary now. But uh, unless Catherine has something else, <laughs> uh, you're dismissed. But let's dismiss, let's stay sensitive again to social distance. I don't, I don't like the numbers and the, the, the trend that they're on. Uh, so let's be a part of the, the solution and not, you know, add to the problem. Any word before we close? Anything that I may have missed or something needs to be said within reason? <laughs> Catherine, why don't you close this, please? We're going to close with a doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Have a great week.